Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Amanda Bester Siegel is the author of The Caretakers, a novel, which by the way, was one of my favorite books that I read this spring. And now this is taking forever for me to get this episode out. And I'm sorry, we have such a backlog, but don't let that influence you. This book was so wonderful and really amazing. So listen to our episode. Amanda received her MFA from the Missioner Center for Writers, University of Texas, specializing in fiction and screenwriting. Her nonfiction work has been published in Three Penny Review, River Teeth, and Salon. Amanda lived in France for four years before relocating to Austin, Texas. This is her first novel. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Caretakers. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Okay. Your book was so, so good. Like, really good, amazing writing. I care about these characters so much. I didn't want it to end. You created a whole entire world as a good novel should. And I was flipping, well, I was on a, online, but anyway, flipping through <laughs> as fast as I could to see what was happening. But then I, but I didn't want to flip fast. So I read every page like so carefully. Anyway, it was amazing. 
Oh my God. Thank you for saying that. This is my first book. So I'm still, it's still really new when anybody has even read it at all, let alone liked it. So thank you. No, I really, uh, you know, you never know what to expect. Like I read so many books and you just never know. Um, it can it sound, it sounded good. So I knew I wanted to do it and I had read the first couple of pages, but I was so engrossed right away. So I don't know. Bravo. It was really good. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Well, let's back up. Why don't you tell listeners what your book is about? Yeah. So The Caretakers is a book about a community of au pairs in a suburb of Paris. And the book opens with the death of a child in the community who was reportedly alone at home with his au pair at the time. And so she, she is arrested and the book then goes back in time and it focuses on six women in the community and their points of view and their relationships with each other. And it's three, three French women in the town and then three au pairs from the United States. And it kind of explores how how the miscommunications between these women and and the ways that they're all sort of searching for things that they can't have, the ways that those those desires can like run up against each other and ultimately have really tragic consequences. So it's not it's really not a who done it at all. Um, it's more of a kind of how done it um, or a why done it rather. So it's much more about the psychology of these women and and what it means to be a caretaker, especially when you're not being taken care of yourself. Oh, so good. I was particularly intrigued by Charlotte, who has two kids from a prior marriage and then one child in question from the second marriage, also not a particularly lovely marriage. And the rebellion of the teenage daughter, the tragedy that happens to the older son, how she handles everything, which blew my mind at every turn, right? She doesn't have any of the reactions you would expect from a, a mother or a caretaker, so to speak. Tell me about her character and how you developed it, how, like, where we're supposed to be in her head, all of that stuff. Yeah, so Charlotte was actually the last character to make it into the book as a point of view character. I think for a long time, I was really afraid to be in her head because she's probably the character who's the most just different for me, psychologically, materially, all these ways. And I, I was, I was scared to make that leap. And I, I'm really glad I did. Cause I think it was a really, it really pushed me as a writer, but also just as a sort of human being to think about yeah, as you said, these kinds of reactions that are not necessarily what you would expect from from a woman and specifically a mother. And I think that really came for me from, I think the book as a whole was inspired by, I was working as an au pair um, in France. So I didn't, I didn't write this book while I was doing this, but after I was finished and I was thinking a lot about just how even in myself, I felt like my own reactions towards caretaking, my own like competence as a caretaker wasn't necessarily what I always felt like was expected of me just innately. Like I don't, I I felt really incompetent a lot of the time, even though I really cared about my children. I just felt like, oh, I, I thought that this this kind of ability to take care of people and to would be just like somehow like there must be some like feminine instinct. It'll just come up. And it kind of never did. And I and so for me, when I was writing about Charlotte, I was thinking a lot about, OK, well, I've had this experience as an au pair and I'm pushing it another step and I'm really exploring just in a lot of ways, like what it would, what it is to be a mother who, who loves her children in the way that I think like you can't not, but also is not necessarily a mother at her kind of core of who she is. Like she didn't plan to be a mother. She doesn't, 
she's not particularly good at it in a lot of ways. And she, and she tries to compensate for it in the ways that she can. So in Charlotte's case, she's able to, to offer this kind of material comfort for her children, this security that, that she didn't have growing up. But then in a lot of ways, that's not actually what her children need the most. And that, that, that conflict was something I was really interested in as I'm thinking about kind of different kinds of care, you know, there's, there is material care and there's, there's like love and acceptance. Like there's different ways that people take care of one another. And I think a lot of the characters in the book are are sort of receiving some more than others and wanting some more than others. And so, yeah, Charlotte to me was really coming from a place of, you know, a caretaker who really feels lacking in certain areas and tries to compensate in others. But, but in her case, she's, she's mother to children who are really, who are older, who have really strong personalities, really strong needs, really strong desires. They don't always line up with what Charlotte is feels able to give or is even able to really understand from them. And so they both kind of are just missing each other, even though they, you know, both daughter and mother want so badly to connect with each other. Oh my gosh. The image of the black skirt and the green underwear of <laughs> a dinner party. Oh my gosh. It's like every parent's nightmare. It's like, oh my uh, Oh my, I'm like, I've never find my daughter another dress ever again. Anyway, you know, interestingly, the au pair, and I'm, I, I'm so bad with names, the au, the au pair for the family who spends the weekend with Gervais, the teacher, is that right? The teacher? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lou. Oh, Lou is the au pair. No, not Lou, the other one. The one. Oh, uh, the Elena. Elena, sorry. Thank you. So Elena, when she is staying with the teacher says, you know, I, I feel so bad for the families, I feel so bad for the kids. It's not fair. It's not fair that I'm here, that I'm an au pair, that I'm going to leave. And then I have to leave the kids back to these crazy families, essentially, right? It's like, she is not sure if, if there's even any value to her care and caregiving, if she's just going to leave. And what do you do when you're inside of an ecosystem where ultimately you're just like, you're plugging a leak for a second. It's like your fingers on some sort of leak and you know you're about to like take it off and the water will come like flying out again. Talk to me a little about that and her role and her assessment of of the family essentially. Yeah, I love that image of, of plugging the leak because it's, it's not even just that it's a sort of temporary, it's stoppage. It's also that next year, like you'll be replaced with Yes. A differently sized cork, like differently yeah. shaped. Like yeah. it's just always, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think this was something I felt a lot while au pairing. It's, it's such an intense experience to, to really be the primary caretaker for somebody else's children. Um, cause you end up spending so much more time with them than their parents do. And I think there's a kind of pressure that comes, like, I felt this kind of pressure of needing to to like make these kids into good people. Like I just felt like so responsible for them. And at the same time, I'm not their parent. I have one year with them and then, you know, they'll be raised by somebody else. And, and, you know, even, even that year, it's like, I can't, I'm, I'm just, I'm not their mom. And there's such a weird kind of gap there of, of caring so much about them, but they're not yours. And ultimately they are being formed by a family that you, you live in and you're so close to, but you don't have a say in like in the, in so much about how they see the world and how they're being raised to kind of view people. And, and so it's just really complicated. And I, and I think I, yeah, Elena was a character who I, I was definitely exploring that kind of feeling of, because she's somebody who I think for her own reasons is afraid to get too close to things. She's really, really 
she's been very burned by family in the past. And so for her, it's this sort of dance of, of being really, really intimate with these people and wanting to, and wanting to, you know, (laughs) do that job, like be there for those kids, be there, uh, in a way that I think she's noticing in this particular family that the, the parents are not, but also recognizing that there's only so so much she can do and that it will be temporary. And I think as somebody who has been abandoned in the past for her, that's very painful for her to know that she's going to do that to somebody else. And I think that that's something that a lot of the au pairs in the book really struggle with, because I think for, for all of them, for various reasons, part of the reason they're in France is because they're searching for some kind of belonging or family or acceptance that that ultimately is, even if they can find it, it's going to be short-term, like it's going to be limited. They're still an employee. Like there's so many kind of boundaries around what they actually, you know, how much they're actually able to, to get what they want from that experience. And so, yeah, I think it's this dual, it's this duality of both the au pair kind of being a child and wanting to be accepted. And then also recognizing that in a lot of ways, they're about to do to the children what they maybe have experienced before of, you know, they're going to leave. And like, what is it to, to really leave an impact on a child to try to help raise a child, be there for them, especially if their parents are kind of absent. And then, and then to, you know, in June, that was my job. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a really, yeah, it's a complicated thing to think to grapple with, especially when you're still really young yourself. I am. I've never been an au pair and I've never hired an au pair or worked with an au pair as a mother, but Mm -hmm. I was a mother's helper for a summer for a family. I didn't live with them, but I was there, you know, every day and I babysat a lot growing up because I love, I mean, I still love kids, but I I gravitated to those types of jobs before I was old enough to have (laughs) regular jobs. And I'm still like, there's still, there's that thing where the more you care for something, the more you love it. Like sometimes it is the act of caring for something. Uh, this is, it even happens with animals, right? Like you, you form these bonds and attachments sometimes just for the sake of caring. Now I happen to love the girl I took care of and I'm still in touch with her and she's wonderful and I'm in touch with the family, but you never quite get over that, that feeling that like, and the, you know, how you described it is almost like an interloper, right? Like it's not your family but yet you have a critical role all of a sudden. I don't know. It's just, and now as a mom, when I have to hire people to help with my kids, not as an au pair, it's like, I don't know. And then I, I'm so worried. Like, what if somebody years from now, like writes about, like, I was like <laughs> oh no. I mean, I, I mean, I think I've been pretty nice, but you know, <laughs> just like, you know, everybody's family is a little bit nuts, right? Like everyone has their idiosyncrasies, not like these families in your book. I mean, my family is not like, these families were pretty nice, but just anybody coming in from the outside to see the particularities of a, of a family is just, um, I don't know, very interesting and makes me very nervous. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's also, it's sort of doubly complicated in this case because it's in another country. So it's like, you're, you know, yeah, you are an interloper in this family, but also in this culture. Like there's so much about the way that, you know, in my host family, my host family was not like what the families in the book. I had a really lovely family, but you know, they're, they were French and it was, it was fascinating to see even just some of the like more subtle ways that children are sort of reared and and disciplined and all is so different um, from culture to culture. And so, yeah, you really, it is really strange to kind of be in the inside, but also, yeah, this kind of objective observer in some ways. And I, 
I don't know. I don't think you should be worried. I think no, that's I'm not, part I'm of the inevitable part of I but. know, I know. <laughs> I actually, I also, when I was a teenager, I lived with a French family for a summer back when I could speak French very well. And, you know, now I can barely even like, form a sentence, but that was another way of seeing, you know, this girl who was about my age, but she was living in this house in the South of France and like what her life was like. And I took French classes in the neighborhood. I don't know. So I feel like I related to like the, it's in bits and pieces as I don't know, which just like made the book even more sort of relevant, I guess. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. You know, I was also interested in your depiction of the men in this story because in some ways they're supporting characters, but they all have their own issues too, particularly the two neighbors and their relationship with their wives and also how like dissatisfied they are, you know, as a, like, tell me about the men and how you crafted their characters. And did you think about having a, a perspective of one of them at all because men of course are caretakers in their own right or was it only the women and actually maybe you should just go back for a second when you said that that character came last which I found shocking who did you start with how did this whole thing come about 
like when you began writing, was it always multiple point of view by chapters? Was there ever one narrator? Talk about the that for a minute and then lead up to the Met. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when I started, I started with Lou, who is the first au pair perspective that we hear from. And I did know at the beginning that I was writing something that would have a lot of different points of view. I think when I first started, I was really focused on the au pairs. So I never, I, at that time, I didn't necessarily think I was going to have non-au pair points of view. And so that was one of the big changes as the book grew was realizing that this wasn't that because the book is so much about miscommunication and people missing each other, it was actually really important to me to have kind of both sides of it, both like the family perspectives, as well as the au pairs, both American and French. And so, and I wanted, and that I wanted a balance of those points of view. So that was kind of how I landed on the, on these six women in particular. I, the only male character who I ever even considered writing a point of view from, but honestly, even the consideration was pretty brief, was Victor, Mm -hmm. who, yeah, is the older brother in the main family we're with. And I I love Victor. He's one of my favorite characters. I just think he's really complicated and and tragic in a lot of ways. But yeah, I think for me, I I just made the decision that I, I did, at least in this particular book, I think there's a version of this book that has points of view of the fathers as well. I think that would be fascinating. I think for me, I really was interested in in the way that caretaking falls on women specifically, and then and particularly what that looks like when it falls on women who, for various reasons, are not actually again good at it or even know how to do it, whether because of their age or because of their background or their own upbringing. There's, you know, none of the women in this book are are great at caretaking and all for kind of different reasons. And that's something that like, that is the thing that I wanted to explore in them. And so as a result of that, I think the male characters are, they are really sidelined, but, but part of that is because at least in this world, in this particular community, I think that those caretaking roles are quite gendered. Um, It was something that I really observed when I was, when I was in France, I think it, it, you know, it depends on where you are. It's also really Mm class-based, but especially in that, that kind of upper, like upper middle class, high class society in the suburbs of Paris. Like it's, I was kind of shocked by how, how staunch those, those gender roles were. And so it made sense to me that, you know, focusing on caretaking specifically, you know, I'm really looking at how that affects the women that this kind of just automatically falls to, but yeah, no, Victor, Victor was the closest I got. (laughs) Something I must slightly pathetic, right? About like, I, I feel like the image of the man in the, um, in that gold Plaza Atenee room, you know, as she's running off, it's just almost like, it's kind of pathetic, right? You just want to be like, oh my gosh. Anyway, I don't know. it would be really neat if you, if you wrote a sequel that was all the men, I don't know, that could be interesting. Um, really. No, I never thought about doing it until you just asked me this and I'm like, whoa, that would be fascinating. Right? Wouldn't yeah. that be really cool? That would be really neat. Wait, so I feel like I don't know enough about you. So I know you, you're in Austin now and I know you were a French au pair. Fill in the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I moved to France in my early twenties and then I ended Wait, up where did, back up. Where did you, where did you grow up? Oh, okay. I grew up in um, DC, Washington, DC. And my parents actually met in Paris. So they both lived in Paris when they were teenagers and spent many years there. That's where they met. So I kind of grew up with France, like they both spoke French and I sort of had this, even though I am not, you know, French 
ancestrally or anything. I think I grew up very much like thinking of Paris as sort of my like birthplace in a way. And, and so, yeah, when I, when I was in college, my mom actually passed away right before I graduated and that came yeah, but it I it, it's it's weird looking back cuz I did not think that was connected to me moving to France and you know later realized that was a very big part of it, but I think that really was a sort of before and after for me in my life where it just completely changed the course of everything yeah. that I was doing and I I moved to France to au pair originally I think cuz I was just everything, you know, I was just so, I was not processing my grief at all. And I just needed to kind of reset. I'd always wanted to live in France. I spoke French. I'd never, you know, really spent time there. And so that was where the, the move came from and the au pairing. Can I ask what happened to your mom? You don't have to talk about it. Oh yeah. She was sick. She had hepatitis. She was like very chronically ill and it had been a kind of on and off throughout my life. But when I was 21, it, it, it was a pretty quick, like diagnosed in June, passed away in August. And then I went back to school for my final year. So it was, it was traumatic. And I, and I really like, I kind of got through college because I felt like I had to, but when I graduated, I was pretty lost. And I think again, like this all ties in with the book. Like I really, I was someone who I think went to France, not totally understanding what I was looking for. And I didn't realize until I was there, like how, how much I needed (laughs) from other people and how strange it was to be in this caretaking role when I had just lost my own caretaker Mm. and to live in a family when I felt like I no longer had my own, if that was so fraught. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't know how long I was going to be there when I lived there. It was very much a, I, everything is bad. I just need to reset. I need to figure out what I'm doing. I need to get away. And then I ended up staying for most of my twenties. So yeah, I lived in France for almost, yeah, about four and a half years. And then I moved to Austin because I did an MFA program. Like I just, I I wanted to have some more time to focus on writing. So I came back to the States and yeah, that, that's kind of where I am now. I, I just graduated last year and feel really lucky. I happened to fall in love with Austin, but yeah, for a long time, I thought I might just stay in France. I really, I mean, I loved it there, but it's complicated. I think it's complicated when you move to a place to, to kind of run from or process grief. It mm-hmm. becomes it in a lot of ways, Paris is home to me, but it's also a very painful home. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like Lou when she, um, when the teacher asks like, don't you have anybody you need to call? And she was like, no, I feel like it's like that moment. Like who am I supposed to call when I'm lost and I'm, you know, I don't know when your um, it goes away. It's that same feeling. I feel like she had, maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's that. It's like the irony of I'm here because I have no one to call. Like I, right. I've come, I've come all this distance because there's nobody. Yeah, and that I think that was. I mean, so many au pairs do not have stories like that. Like there's mm-hmm. plenty of people who are just you know taking a gap year, like want to learn a language, want to you know be exposed to another culture, but. I think for me and a lot of the people that I was drawn to, a lot of the other young women I was drawn to, it was, there are quite a few of us who had these kind of really before and after sort of crisis moments that led us to do this thing and, and that we hadn't really processed. And that's kind of why we were there. And I think Mm -hmm. when you add in the, the degree, you know, that element of like 
and you're also supposed to be this authority figure and taking care of someone when you're basically a child and you're still grappling with your own kind of lack of care. It's like, it just gets so complicated. And, and especially for a place like Paris, which is so idealized, I think there's just a lot, this big idea that like, you'll, you know, you'll find yourself, you'll become someone different. I think even with my family history with Paris, I still had this very idealized view of what would happen to me there. And it ended up changing my life, but not, not because it, not in the ways I expected it, like really forced me to actually deal with grief in a way that I was trying to run from ultimately. So yeah, I think that's where a lot of the au pair characters came for me. Mm -hmm. So did you write this as part of your MFA? So I, I actually mostly wrote it while I was in France. The, I was that I was, I worked as an au pair that first year. I didn't write at all. I was just living it. And then I started to write it after I finished um, that job. And then I I had almost finished by the time I, I started my MFA, but the MFA really, my program was, it, it's almost more like a fellowship um, at UT Austin. They, they, we end up only having nine hours of class a week. We don't have to teach. We're on a, on a big fellowship every year. So it really, it gave me the chance to just finish the book in a way that I, I did not have time in France, I think. I think also like while I was living in France, I was constantly, I was getting so many ideas all the time. Like it was so stimulating and the book just kept growing and growing. And in some ways, I think being back in the States and kind of cutting off the inspiration (laughs) pipeline also allowed me to finish. Like it just, it forced me to sort of time capsule it and let it be, you know, let it just be done. So I, I finished it during the MFA. And then you just, and then you, did the MFA help you like get an agent and sell it and everything? Give me like the one minute version of that story. Yeah, kind of. Told. Well, yeah. So my, my program was three years and I actually, I finished the book uh, the summer between my second and third year and ended up, I had a really fairy tale experience. This is not like uh, the gold standard or like a standard of what to expect. I think I queried agents in September and ended up signing and selling the book within a month. It was a ridiculously oh like, my gosh. like fairy tale. And that was my, you know, my, my final year at school. So that final year was kind of weird. I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing anymore. I'm kind of I did it. I did the thing. But I think for me, it was actually, it was mostly really COVID, like kind of lit this fire under my butt because it was COVID hit my second year. And it really was this like, oh God, I'm going to, we're all going to graduate into this. Like there's no jobs. There's no, like we basically were forced to graduate early mentally, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I hadn't planned on sending my book out that early, but I, I did because I, I, I kind of panicked. <laughs> just like, I have to, I have to start doing something before I graduate. So yeah, I mean, the, the MFA doesn't, it doesn't literally give you an agent or anything like no, that, I know, I know. <laughs> but it was, it, it was, yeah. I mean, I, even being able to just have that community to, to talk to and get recommendations for, you know, who to query and how to query. That was really, it was really helpful, but yeah, my agent who, who's wonderful is somebody who I just, I queried because she represented another author I love. And I just... Who is your agent, by the way? Suzanne Gluck at WME. So she... I really, really love Julia Phillips' uh, Disappearing Earth. I think it's another book that's sort of like... Yeah. 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 It's it's kind of interested in similar... um, Yeah. Just just themes. And and so I I just looked up who her agent was and queried her agent. And... Amazing. That worked out amazingly well, but... um, By the way, I still, I mean, I like your cover a lot, but I feel like you, did you ever think about doing like the singed flower from the flower bed? Yes. 
Yes. That's hilarious. You're saying that I, yeah, when I was, we, we actually talked about that and the, my editor and the marketing team, you know, fairly were like, there's a lot of flowers on covers. Like there's just a lot of them. Like maybe yeah. we should, but, I, but yeah, I, I, as far as images go, I think that I, I do like, you know, obviously the book's about taking care of children, but I think that there's a lot of imagery in there about plants as well. And just like other other ways we mess up living, living things. Yeah. <laughs> and there's definitely some violence against flowers in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have another book in the works? I do. Yeah. I can't say too much about it, but yeah, I'm working on it. And what um, about a film adaptation? Is that in the works of this one? Yes. Yeah. It's actually a TV adaptation. So I also, that it, it's still like very, very early stages, but but yeah, there is there is a, a team working on that. And I think the idea is a kind of limited miniseries sort of thing where, you know, it almost sort of like kind of like Big Little Lies, right? It, it's kind of, a, yeah, it's like a contained story, but there is sort of, I think, space if it ever wanted to extend, you know, that world, all the au pairs, the fact they change over every year kind of lends itself to future stories. So. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm really excited. I... I'm so glad I read this book. I am very excited to recommend it far and wide. You're such a great talent and you're so young and I can't wait to see what you do. Like, it's really cool and it's just very inspiring. It's great to to just like open a book and see all this great talent and intrigue. And I don't know, it was just really cool. It was great. I'm really excited for you. Thank so. you. Thank you so much for reading it and for having me on the podcast too. This is wonderful. Oh, I'm, I'm really happy. It was great. Really great. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> okay. You too. Thanks for the early morning podcast. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take care. Best of luck. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 